Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, we're in a series calling Trusting God in the Unknown. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series called Encounters with Jesus, where people impacted Jesus and Jesus impacted them and uh, their lives crossed. And whenever Jesus encountered somebody, their lives were changed. So that's our brand new series that will start next week. But as we're in this, ending this series today, Trusting God in the Unknown, I want to talk to you about when God is silent, when God is silent. You know, every one of us experience disappointments. It's part of life. And there's sadness to some degree. There's issues where people have broken their promises to us or hurt us deeply. Or there's issues where we hurt ourselves. We made a choice or a decision that caused some deep pain of our own. And as we think about our world right now, there's so much going on. Uh, we're divided like never before, or at least in recent years, we've not been this divided. There are people hurting deeply because of the economy. Some businesses have closed. Some have uh, gone from being employed to being unemployed. Many are concerned about uh, how they're going to navigate online education. I spoke to a mom this week who has three elementary age kids. And both her and her husband work, and not in-home, uh, they have to go to a work site. So what are they going to do to navigate their three children and make sure they all get on Zoom uh, at the appropriate time? Uh, grandparents and guardians who are stepping in, neighbors who are helping, businesses who have closed, and all of it. And sometimes we can feel like in the midst of all this this, this crushing issue of life and the unknown and the uncertainty that God is somehow silent. Well, we've been studying in the book of Psalms, and I want to take you to Psalm 13. That study's been happening on Wednesday night. We're now moving it to Tuesday night at 6 p.m. So we'll be live 6 p.m. on Facebook Live and also on live stream with our next installment of the study of Psalms. But as I read Psalm 13, these six verses to you, see if there's places where you uh, recognize the feeling of David himself, where he says, how long, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. That, that term rejoice literally means they will dance over me when I become defeated. But, and I love this, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, David's circumstances here aren't described. We have no historical context or proof of what David is going through here. As I studied various commentaries, they actually warned against trying to decide what David was experiencing here in his life. 
Was it Saul who was trying to chase him? Was he, he frightened by someone who had made an accusation against him or threatened his life? We don't know. And so it's best we leave it there. And that might really be good for us because then we could take Psalm 13 and apply it to our own lives today. Not knowing the situation or the historical context, we can say, hey, this fits us to trust God in the unknown. There are three sections of this psalm. If you like to outline passages of Scripture like I do, it helps me when I prepare for a teaching like this. The first one is David's condition. We see it in verse 1 and 2, and then we see David's cry in verses 5 and 6, and also David's consolation in verses 5 or 6, the condition of his life, the cry of his heart, and the consolation of his future. The first thing, number one, is the heart condition, and I've called this section despair. How long? How long? How long? The recurring question in verses 1 and 2. Psalm 13, again, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle and struggle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will the enemy triumph over me? It kind of sounds like sarcasm at first. How long, God? How long, God? How, how long, God? But it's how he feels in the depth of his soul during this season of uncertainty or not knowing exactly what's coming next. And here are the feelings that I would call the feelings that David is happening in his heart in Psalm uh, 13, 1 and 2. They're feelings of being forgotten and being forsaken. Have you forgotten me, God? The God with the great memory, the God with the, the ultimate eternal focus? Am I not on your radar? Have you forsaken me, God? Where have you gone? Where are you? How long? Can you identify with some of this? Can you identify with legitimate reasons that you have to feel like maybe God has left you? Let me remind you, whatever you're facing now personally, in the secret places of your heart, maybe no one else knows about, they could turn into feelings of being forgotten and being forsaken, where you say, God, where are you? I was reading an article the other day that uh, some psychologists had put together talking about the negative aspects of being isolated. Now, while CDC and others say, keep your distance, stay at home if you can, wear your mask, others are saying, with, with all of that, and I'm not saying against that, speaking against that, but the psychologists are saying the adverse effects are that we become lonely inside that some of us who are wired with the need to be together, and by the way, God created us for fellowship to be together, there's a psychological effect that's negative that we're, we're just isolated and all alone. How can iron sharpen iron? How can we encourage one another? I'm so grateful that we have online technology. Could you imagine this 20 years ago, 25 years ago? But now we're able to text our friends and FaceTime our friends, and you can see my face, and uh, some of you have been on Zoom calls with us, so we're able to see each other, the benefit of that, but there's still a negative effect that causes people to move into the blues, depression, or despair, and sometimes if we linger there long enough, it can feel like God is not there. 
Well, Israel went through a season like that. Isaiah 49, 14 says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. See, the children of Israel were on their journey. They're they're doing their best to, to follow after God. But it felt like God had forsaken them in the wilderness. Remember one point, they even say, God, why have you brought us out here to die? And later, they, they, they were complaining in regards to the exile in Babylon, that the Babylonians had come and captured them and brought them into slavery, in exile in Babylon. Not their homeland, not their place of worship. But it's interesting to note that in verses 15 and 16, Isaiah 49 records the words of God. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will, yeah, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. The the walls, the challenges that you're facing. And see, I've engraved you. It's like I, I got a tattoo, God says, and it has your name on it in the palm of my hand. And every time I look at my hand, I see your name. I can't forget you at all. Here, David is experiencing the feelings of being sorrowful and struggling. I'm wrestling in my heart. I'm sorrowful. I'm struggling. I'm going through a difficult time. I'm tossing and I'm turning. And right back in this song, Psalm, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and sorrow in my heart? The core of my being has been shaken. Now, I know lots of people in this season, high-functioning people who, who've loved and planned and set dates for different things to happen, and it didn't happen. I know of a family who was coming to have their family reunion on the Central Coast, all centered around three graduations from high school. They were going to attend the graduations of all three of their family members. They were going to celebrate and have a family reunion. And of course, you know what happened during graduation season. There were drive-by graduations and travel was halted, and so this family couldn't come together. I'm sure you have stories of things that have been changed because of the situation we're in. And maybe you said, why, Lord? Or maybe you said, why us, Lord? Or maybe you said, why me, Lord? One of the commentaries I was reading, an old preacher of yesteryear, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, let, me, let me paraphrase what he said. He said, ruminating, uh, ruminating, that's hard to say, ruminating, I got it right in the first two services, upon trouble is bitter work. And when you add to that the sound of the enemy seeking the triumph over me, it's like pouring vinegar on an open rune. When we come to be people that constantly uh, ruminate or marinate or saturate on all the things that are going on that are bad, pretty soon we can, well, let me paraphrase another thought by Spurgeon. We can begin to move into self-pity. And rather than our lives being all about Jesus, our lives become all about us. Spurgeon went on to say that there are certain things, it's better to swallow them than to chew them. It's better to swallow them than to chew them. If you chew on it too long, 
self-pity can come. Now, some of you, God bless you, you're like Winnie the Pooh. Everything's going to be fine. Or you're like Tigger, and being Tigger is a wonderful thing. But there are some of us who may find ourselves in the Eeyore mentality. Remember Eeyore? Everything was sad. Everything was bad. Everything was gloomy. It's really a bad day when you look in the mirror and you see Eeyore there. And, And that's when we go back to Psalm 13 and we do the second thing. We have a heart cry. We have a heart cry. And, and the word I've, I've used here to describe this is dependent. God, I'm dependent upon you. Back in 1984, it seems like the dark ages, there was a group called Tears for Fears, and they had a song, Shout, Shout, Let It All Out. These are the things I can do without. Come on, I'm talking to you. <laughs> well, I doubt their song was based on Psalm 13. But I can tell you this, it's good to let it all out. Every once in a while where you take your pain, your grief, your sorrow, your anxiety, and you let it all out. Where do we let it all out? To God. To cry out to God and declare our need before the Lord, our dependency upon God. This last week in our psalm study, we were in Psalm 37. And the psalmist says in verse 3, He says, I kept silent, when I kept silent, and you'll see this phrase, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. See, groaning is whining, and groaning and whining aren't really prayer. They're just rehearsing or or ruminating. There's that word, ruminating with the sad things and the bad things going on. When I kept silent... now. This doesn't say, I kept silent, or I was merely silent, but I kept silent resolutely. In other words, I worked hard at being silent to God. I kept it. I had the ability to share my needs to God, to to cry out to God, to be dependent on God, but I chose to keep silent. That's what he's saying here. And notice the response to that. His bones, his physical being started changing. His health started changing as he kept silent. But Psalm 13, verse 3 says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. And then he goes on to say, Give light, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. See, the need here is for consideration and illumination. God, I want you to consider me, but don't just think about me and consider me, and don't just speak to me, but I want you to illuminate the darkness that's in my own soul. Now, when he says, give light to my eyes, or I'll sleep in death, it literally refers to the fact that David doesn't want to die of a broken heart. I want you to come and consider me and illuminate my light so I, I, so I can begin to see you. Consider me. Illuminate my path. Light up my soul. And so something begins to happen here. It's the third thing. It's heart consolation. And I've called this section a declaration. He begins to change what he was saying before. 
He says in verse 5 and 6, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You know, we started this sermon, uh, this service in Psalm 95 saying, Oh, come, let us worship the Lord. And I started by saying, Our worship doesn't have to be a response to everything that's good or great or that's happy. And here we have the psalmist, and he stops and he says, But. Almost like, forget everything I said before. <laughs> how long, how long, how long? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing. Now, nowhere in this psalm does it say his circumstance changed. It doesn't say it. Nowhere in this psalm says the enemy stopped coming against him. Nowhere in this psalm says that his life all of a sudden just became easy and happy. doesn't say that. But what shifted was his heart. What shifted was as he cried to God and asked for God to illuminate his eyes, he began to see the God of salvation. He began to take his mind and thinking and started to trust in the unfailing love of God. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. He recognized that God is still God with the lights on or with the lights off because he recognized the fact that God was sovereign. I've trusted in your steadfast love. Oh, we know this from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. See, the need to trust God and bring our emotions underneath his character. There is a great need for that to happen. I've trusted in your steadfast love. That's a lesson. The feelings of his heart are real. The feelings of his emotions, they are real. But now he's applying his mind to the matter. The need to rejoice in God's salvation and to sing praise to God. The need to stop and say, God, I am going to worship you. So let me show you a little something. And, and you've heard me say this and make my confession. I'm not the greatest of artists. But I began to think about Psalm 13 in the context of today. Now, this is a cloud. Not the cloud of memory. It's not the iCloud. It's not where you store your pictures or your data. But this is a cloud, and we're just going to call it a dark, dark cloud. And underneath this cloud, we can have our heart. We can put our heart underneath this cloud. And we can say, like the psalmist, I've been forgotten. I've been forsaken. And we can come out with a statement that says, how long? How long, God, will I have to go through this? How, 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 how long? How long? And pretty soon it will change our thinking or our mind. See, notice in this psalm, he actually changes the way that he thinks and how he expresses himself. 
I struggle, God, with, with my thoughts. I struggle and wrestle with my heart. My heart is sorrowful all day long, day and night. His heart is full of sorrow, and his heart has now become dark like the cloud that he's under. Let me ask you a question. What would our life be like if we took our heart and our mind and we moved them? How about this? Not the dark cloud, but God's character. Now this may seem simplistic, and I certainly don't mean it to be. I think it's actually deeply profound. And let me explain to you. If your heart is under the character of God, what's his character like? His mercy's good forever. It's new every morning. The, the, the psalmist says in 13 that God has been good to him. What if we started rehearsing all the things about God's character like grace or like mercy or the one the psalmist uses, goodness? You could make a list, great homework assignment, to take some time and write down the character of God. And then place your heart under the character of God, and then pretty soon, your mind follows for how you think. And the end result will be this, God is with me. No matter what I see, no matter what I sense, no matter how dark things might be, that my God is with me. You get to determine where your heart's going to be and where your mind's going to be, under the dark cloud of life or under the character of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Or when darkness veils its lovely face, I, I rest on his unchanging grace. The old song, Solid Rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. This is the declaration of David's heart. God, I trust in you. God, I will bring my emotions underneath your character. God, I will worship you because you're the God of salvation. And God, I will sing praise unto your name. See, we have an option we can live under the dark cloud and live under the self-pity or the spirit of the victim, or we can say, God, I know things are not the way I wish. See, I'm not contending that you deny your circumstances. I know things aren't the way I hoped for, but I'm going to shift my hope not under the dark cloud and leave it there, or my mind under the dark cloud, I'm going to shift over to a better way, under your character. I'm going to take my life underneath your character and your faithfulness. I love this psalm. It's a psalm of transition, where you start in discouragement and despair, and you finish in a place of trust and joy and encouragement. That's my prayer for you, for all of us who call LFC their home, or for those of you that have found us through this season of being online. We're grateful you've joined in, but hear my heart's cry for you, is that you will know what it's like to live under the character and the grace and the mercy 
of a God who is with us always. Several years ago, I heard a poem that just moved my soul. As I thought about Psalm 13, I I saw David trying to run his race and having a rough time. And so allow me to read this to you, and possibly you've heard it before. Well, it'll do you good to hear it again. And possibly as I read it, you can even visualize this story coming to life in your mind's eye. It goes like this. Quit. Give up your beating, they shout and plead. There's just too much against you now. This time you can't succeed. And as I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. And hope refills my weakened will as I recall that scene for just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. A child's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, or if not first, at least take second place. Their fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son, and each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew, and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire. To win, to be the hero there, was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, his dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad, he'll be so proud. But as he speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace, and mid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with him hope, he couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face, that steady look that said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up and try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight or 10, but trying so hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat, he lay there silently, a tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had despaired. All hope had fled away. So far behind, so error prone. A loser all the way. I've lost. So what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad 
who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. With borrowed will, get up, he said. You haven't lost at all. For winning is not more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to run once more with a new commit. He resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win. He still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed first place. Head high, proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line, last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing that race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won the race by listening to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all, and all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. They still shout in my face. But another voice within me says, get up. And win that race. Now when I hear that story, I easily can see God's face or Jesus' face in the crowd of life. And I can also see, according to Hebrews 11, a great crowd of witnesses around us saying, get up, run the race. Don't live in the first part of Psalm 13 with despair. But come to the Lord and cry out to him and ask him to help you, to consider you, to illuminate your heart and your mind so you can begin to change your perspective and run your race knowing that God is with you, that God is for you, that he's the God of salvation. Recognizing we can rejoice in that salvation because God has forgiven our sins and someday, ultimately, we stand before God in heaven. And because of the grace of Jesus... There's no consequence of the sin. In other words, death. The wages of sin is death. Death is gone because of Jesus. Oh, dear ones, that's our joy. And to know that he's with us now. That he deeply cares about your race and all that you're dealing with. If you've yet to give your life to Christ as your personal Savior, well, it's not too late. There's still time, and today's a great day where you confess to the Lord your sin and say, Father, I ask you to allow Jesus to be the one who would save my life. And you say to Jesus, be my personal Savior. You believe he died on a cross, he rose again from the dead. And you confess that. I encourage you to do so even today. To simply say, Lord, right where you are, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I believe you died on a cross. Lord, I believe you forgave my sins. And Lord, I believe you rose again from the dead for me. And I invite you to live inside of my life. I will follow you, Lord.
And if this is your day to give your life to Christ, I encourage you to just get your phone and text Decide Jesus, all one word, to 555-888. I'm sorry it's so impersonal, but we have a prayer team that would love to pray for you. We have our staff that would love to respond to you. We'll send you a yes packet to get you started on your journey. And some of you of the recent months have actually used 555-888. You'll get a response and responded back with this statement. I have questions and we'll contact you. We want to help you. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not sure about this verse or my grandfather said this about salvation. Well, we'd love to help you navigate, even if you're seeking and searching the Lord. So go ahead and text Decide Jesus 555-888. Now let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have dealt bountifully with us. May we learn to trust in your steadfast love. May we rejoice in your salvation. Even when the afflictions and the anguish of our life threaten to overwhelm us, just like they did David. Even when we're wrestling with the sorrow in our thoughts, may we bring our hearts and our minds underneath your character, underneath your lordship, underneath your grace and your mercy, and allow you to change us. Even if you don't change the circumstances, would you change our hearts? Thank you for Christ and salvation. Thank you. He purchased our salvation with his blood, and nothing changes that. And no one, even in their statements, can change that. May that joy fill our hearts and our minds that God is with us. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.